Bible. And uh, we talk about a life without regret. By the way, you can have a life regret without regret in spite of the decisions and choices that people make around you. Sometimes we feel like, well, uh, remember, we've said this before. Life is more consequences than circumstances. Very important to distinguish between that. Because a lot of times people say, well, I'm a product of my uh, circumstances. And that there's very little portion of our life that is a result of circumstances. Uh, everybody was born into whatever home you were born into. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, so-and-so was born into a life of privilege. Yeah, but that doesn't always work so well for them either. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. And people that have means and substance, uh, don't, it doesn't always work out for them either. Most people think if I just had money, I'd take care of everything in my life. But the fact is, people with money have problems too, just like anybody else. And so don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that. Now, in Ruth's story, she's the product of decisions that other people made to whom she was accountable. And so uh, that played into her situation as we unfold in chapter number one. But the first uh, thing that we see about her was that she made a wise choice. What was that wise choice? We find it in chapter one, verse number 16. Ruth, can you all see it okay back there? Everybody good? You, you all see it over here? Okay. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people, bless you, shall be my people. It's not in there. That's in the original. <laughs> thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Ruth chapter 1. And, of course, that's a very familiar passage and uh, often quoted verse. But the first thing about her wise choice, we said, was she was faithful to her family. Uh, the second thing that we noticed, and we'll not spend a lot of time on these, but uh, she showed great respect for physician and her elders. And boy, is that missing in our culture today. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, and I encourage you, especially with children, uh, when we have days like First Responders Day, it's important for them to see those uh, men and women in that light. And so respect for physician and elders. Um, you know, I, c I, can I can remember growing up, and I realize I'm older. I'm 57, but, but I can remember when you addressed everyone older than you by yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. No, sir, and no, ma'am. It, did, it didn't matter who they were. By the way, I find myself still doing that to the 16-year-old kid at McDonald's, <laughs> just out of habit. They'll say, will there be anything else? I'll say, I, and I've said it many times, and I'm 40 years older than them, but I, that's just how it is. I, and I remember one time when I was, uh, I think I was 12, maybe 13, and I was at a feed store with my dad, and uh, um, he thought I said something contrary to the gentleman behind the counter who was an older guy, and I, I still remember what he was wearing. Uh, he had on a flannel shirt and bib overalls, and he was sitting behind the counter, uh, standing there, and he was waiting on us. We were picking up some uh, seed and things, and... Um, my dad misinterpreted what had gone on in our conversation, though I didn't correct him. Um, and he just hauled off and backhanded me right across the face. And I know in today's culture, you, you, you probably if we'd had the video cam, it would have been on, it would have been on Facebook instantly, and there'd have been a warrant out for his arrest. But I'll tell you this: my dad loved me, and I, there was never any question about that. It, I'm not going to get into the the whole corporal punishment thing. Uh, not tonight anyway, but uh, uh, my mom's life verse was the blueness of the wound cleanseth away evil. Um, but anyway, no, it really wasn't. I don't, I'm just saying that. 
But uh, my dad told me, he said, son, he said, don't you ever disrespect authority or an adult. He said, if I ever see that again, he said, you've had it. And I thought I already had had it. I didn't know what I've had it would mean, but uh, I thought that was a pretty good indication of what might come in the future. And, you know, um, I realized it was a different it was a different day and it was a different time. But respect is not outdated. And uh, uh, w- one of the things that I, that I think has caused such a great division in our country, um, whether it's politically uh, divided or racially divided, uh, it does, wh- whatever it is, I think one of the biggest reasons is we've lacked re- we lack respect. And by the way, and boy, I'm going to really digress, so I'm only going to make this statement. I'm not going to preach on it. But we started when we lost respect for the unborn. It was, it was one, of the, one of the key things. When we lost respect for life and we just said, hey, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, abortion on demand in our country, we immediately, morally speaking, our country headed south in a hurry. Okay, and I, I'm, I'm just going to say that. I'm going to put that out there. But when you lose respect, uh, you, lose, you lose so much. But anyhow, I'm not preaching on that tonight. Uh, so we see she was, can, you probably can't see, see all of that, but faithful to her family, respect for position, her elders, and then thirdly, respect for authority. Then the second thing we noticed, she made a wise choice, but the second thing we noticed that she had, and that was a worker's creed, and she wasn't afraid to work. I always told young men this at the college when I worked at the college environment. I told them, I said, if you're willing to work, you'll never go hungry. That's not only a biblical principle, it's a fact. If you're willing to work, it doesn't, sometimes people think, well, and by the way, every skill you have is a good skill. Um, The more you do, the more valuable you become. Um, Sometimes uh, I I was reading an article recently, and it was talking about the the benefits of trades over college degrees. And uh, there's a lot of merit to that. Um, it, but I'm not, I'm not going to get into that either. But there w- it, the article began by talking about uh, um, uh, it was a, a student who had graduated from a very, very prestigious university and had taken, got a master's degree in like, uh, uh, I think it was French Renaissance art, uh, which has always been fascinating to me. Um, I read books on it all the time. Uh, in fact, I have every everything ever written. No, are you kidding? <laughs> but they were complaining because they had gone to college, spent over a hundred thousand dollars on their education, and couldn't find a job. And they were they were protesting because there weren't jobs available for them. And I'm thinking, y- what are you thinking? I mean, who who's wanting to hire you for that? I mean, you know, that's me. That every time I move my my leg last week, it was making that noise. So I apologize for that. But uh, um, but if you're willing to work, you're going to always do well in life. Um, that, that's never an issue. And so we see in uh, chapter number two, the worker's creed. Notice, and Ruth the Moabite has said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. She said unto her, go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Under a worker's creed, we saw, first of all, daily diligence, and that is do something every day. Um, and you should always, it doesn't matter if it's a small thing, s- everybody ought to do something every day. Every day. Um, I think, uh, um, what's the admiral's name who wrote, the, I, anyway, I can't remember his name. M- yes, McCraven. And uh, the first thing he said to do every day was make your bed. 
and he said what it does is it gives you a fresh start every day. It doesn't matter how bad the day was before, make your bet every day, uh, daily diligence. And uh, I think he's now the president there, isn't he, at the University of Texas, I think it was. But anyway, a worker's creed, daily diligence, complete a task every day. And then the third thing we noticed, look for areas to serve God and others. And this is, what, by the way, it doesn't matter who you are, God will always give you an opportunity to serve. Uh, I don't know if you all have noticed uh, their painting on the perimeter. And so, um, but that's being done by a family in our church who have a painting business, and that is exactly what that is. It's looking for areas to serve. It is uh, um, whatever you see being done around here is usually done by people in our church who decide, I can do this. This is what I can do. I can serve. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, working on our vehicles or whether it's uh, uh, Joe out here helping in the hallway when, uh, uh, when we were laying the carpet and uh, the, the painting. It doesn't matter. It's always done by God's people who are willing to serve. Um, it's like running the PA here. Um, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night. Those kind of things are done by people who are willing to serve. I promise you this. If you're willing to serve, there will always be an opportunity for you to serve. It doesn't matter. It's like Caleb using his welding to make the cart for the bounce house. And nobody ever sees that. And Caleb didn't ask me to make an announcement about it. But if we don't have that, um, then we got a problem. Uh, we, we got Andy and half a dozen guys kind of toting that thing around. Um, but, but that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And by the way, most of what you ever do for the Lord is never known by anybody else. And if it is something that you're wanting everybody to know about, the Bible says you have your reward. It's like the publican who went up to the house and he said, I thank thee that I am not as, and he, or he, he referenced, um, the, the, uh, the Pharisee rather, referenced the, the publican out there on the outside, and he said, I'm not like that guy. He said, I give tithes of everything that I possess. I fast twice a week. Um, and uh, so that, he was, that was his, his alms before men, if you will. But uh, there's always opportunities to serve. Um, and the Bible reminds us, he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Um, man, I'll tell you, I, this church, listen, if I were not here, you'd have another pastor and you'd be okay. Okay. Now, you don't have to smile and say amen, but you would be. Um, but this church wouldn't survive without servants. It just wouldn't happen. Um, and that's, that's everybody who's doing anything, and most of it you never see. You just, wa- you just show up for church, and it's done. It's ready. That's, you know, and I, I mean, I think of Les and Lori seeing them here. They arrive here an hour before everybody else does on a Sunday morning every single week of the year, and they drive 45 minutes one way. Every single week. Setting things up. I, I mean, when, it, when I get to church, from my exceptionally long commute from Newburgh. On my desk, every single Sunday morning before I, got, before I get here, Les has my mic, he has the order of service, and he has the scripture verse written on there every single week. And, yeah, I know he doesn't do that for recognition, and he didn't ask me to do that, so if you're glad I did, you can give me the five bucks later. <laughs> but my, my point is this. When, when this goes off okay, and church goes off okay. And those of you that sing in a choir, those are Phyllis playing the piano. Um, I, everything that happens 
around the work of God happens because people serve. That's, that's it. And I, I could go on and on and on, so I'm going to stop there. Then the third thing we notice is she was a willing counselee. And uh, by that I mean, and uh, I've, r- I've really got to hustle here to get to the next point, a willing counselee. She was willing to listen to her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law gave her some unusual advice, but she followed it nonetheless. And I don't have time to go through all that again. But the first thing is seeking godly counsel. And that is being the type of person that says, I'm not looking for what is best for me. I'm looking for what God wants me to do. Many times people say, well, this is what I want to do. Yes, but is it in accordance with the will of God? Does it, does it follow scriptural principles? And does it follow biblical gal- guidelines? So I want to seek godly counsel, not popular opinions. And by the way, usually that which is godly is not popular. Usually those two clash. Um, and whatever is popular now, chances are it is not biblical. It is not godly. So not only is it seeking godly counsel, but the second thing under being a willing counselee, we find that you have to follow it. And it's one thing to be told. It's, it's no different than going to the doctor and the doctor telling you, hey, this is the prognosis, uh, this or the diagnosis, and this is what's going to happen, and this is the protocol, the treatment, and so forth. Uh, but you have a choice. You don't have to listen. You can do your own thing. And by the way, God never twists anybody's arm. God will always let you choose. Uh, when, you know, when Joshua makes the statement, but if it seem evil for you this day, then you, then choose you this day whom you will serve. And he gave him the choice. He said, whether the, the God's on the other side of the flood or the God whom we serve, he said, it's up to you. Um, and he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But God never forces anybody. The classic example is two thieves hanging on the cross. He, he loved them both the same. There's no question about it. One of them chose to accept them. One of them chose to reject them. And he let them make that decision. If you don't want to follow biblical principles, you will be reaping the consequences of those decisions. And again, that's not circumstance. That's consequence. And so Ruth is making these decisions, but she's become a willing counselee. So she's seeking it. Her mother-in-law says this. And it's really weird. Go lay at the foot of his bed and lift up his, the, the blanket. I'm paraphrasing here. And I'm thinking, man, that's weird. And, of course, we understand a little bit. No, no, I should say we don't understand the culture of that day. But nonetheless, and Boaz is like, dude, what's, what's happening here? And that's in the original Hebrew. Um, but, uh, but she does that in spite of whether or not she thought that was curious. And she followed the godly counsel. And then the third thing that we see underneath that, a willing counselee, is she resisted the temptation to do that which is popular. The popular thing was to do what her sister-in-law did, Orpah, who said, I'm going back home to my family. And that was the popular thing to do. All right. Now, here we go to the next one, a wonderful connection, a wonderful connection. This is the the new one that we're on tonight. I want to notice chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 11. And sorry if the words don't all make sense, but, hey, they're alliterated. So a wonderful connection. I'm bad about that, so forgive me. It's because sometimes it's a stretch. And if you look at it and go, hmm, that's okay, all right? Um, Sometimes when I'm writing it, I'm going, hmm. So (laughs) I I, I understand. So notice in verse number 10, um, moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malan, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Notice that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of his place, ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and all the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous 
in Bethlehem. So we notice several things uh, about this particular situation. So we see the wonderful connection that she had. And the first thing about it was the connection was to her past, her heritage. And in the, this passage here in chapter number four, the last chapter, we find uh, her past, her heritage, what God had done. One of the things that I think is very important for you to never forget is where you came from. And sometimes they might say it this way, don't forget your raising. Um, and that's South culture. And so if you've never heard that expression and don't know, how many of you never heard that? How many of you have heard that before? Don't forget your raisin. Okay, now you're thinking raisins in the box. No, <laughs> your raisin is how you were raised, and that's the way they would say it. And never forget your raisin. Sorry, did it again. That means how you were brought up. Don't forget your heritage, your past. Well, under, under this, she understood that God had already been very good to her. It didn't mean that everything was great right now, but don't forget what God has already done for you. Um, I was talking with someone uh, this week, um, came, came in for some counsel and was able to lead them to the Lord. So, um, But uh, one of the things I, I, I was reminded of, a, a statement that I read years ago, and, uh, and it, it applicable to the child of God, and that is this. For the child of God, everything works out in the end. And if things aren't working out, it's probably not the end. And so sometimes people think, well, you know, when I when God was very good to me, he was very gracious, he saved my soul. But right right now, things just stink. That's okay. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. David said, I've been young and I'm old and have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. The same David who's in the cave saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. So does, sometimes we have the mistake in, in our thinking that, uh, man, uh, as a child of God, everything's going to go right like this, and it, it's just going to keep getting better and better and better. No, it doesn't work that way. Because, you know, proof of it tonight is found in the eight or ten prayer requests we took. You know, someone from our church family who's starting chemo this week, young man who's in Bible college. I mean, think about it. A month into this semester, he goes in for an infection, and, and he passes away 48 hours later. I mean, you know, you scratch your head and think, what in the world? And, but, and so that mom and dad and fiancé and those friends are sitting here thinking, what is God doing? What is God doing? Well, well, first of all, you don't always know what God is doing, but you know that God is always doing. But you must remember what God has already done for you. You realize, I'll, I'll say it this way. If God, listen, if, there it is again, sorry. If God never does another thing for you, He's been better to you than you ever have deserved. Right? I mean, if, if today, okay, let's think about Job. Oh, right now, man, I, I, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my life. I'm thankful for my wife, for my children, the, the ministry and the opportunities that God has given me. And if God today took everything away, I would st I, I'm not sure I would be able to. But I would still, in all honesty, be able to say, God's been good to me. Because the Bible says about Job, and all this Job said not, nor charge God foolishly. I, in fact, he went so far as to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? Yet will I serve him? He said, I, listen, whatever happens here and now is okay because of what he's done already in my past. And God's already been good to me. God saved me. And so if if the rest of my life falls apart, 
it's been better than uh, than I would deserve. And so if if you if th- if something happens, you think, well, man, I can't believe that happened. But God's been better. And so to remember the wonderful connection that you have, and this is Ruth, of course, we understand with Boaz, and we know the the uh, significant implications there. But the application to us, don't forget your past, your heritage, what God has already done. The second thing, to your present, her husband, she didn't realize what was going on. Because when she walked into this land, she's thinking, I'm I'm lost. I'm coming home with Naomi, who is saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because God hath dealt very bitterly with me. And so she's thinking, I'm following her because it's the right thing to do, but we don't have anything. In fact, she's just... Uh, trying to pick up the gleanings in the field. She doesn't, they, they don't even have a field. They don't have a house. They don't have anything. And so in this moment, she's realizing, hey, in the midst of what looks like barren desolation and doing without, God is doing something miraculous. And so sometimes when you think you're up against it and you're thinking, man, I don't see any way out of this. Remember, God is always doing. And just because you can't see what he's doing doesn't mean that he is not doing and so to her past her heritage what God has done to her present her husband Boaz to come what God is doing and then the third thing to her prospects or her future see prospects future you get that so there's that alliteration sorry her hope what God will do because I I know this for each and every one of us it doesn't matter what's happening right now your end is glorious I was reading a book today um, on heaven and uh, we, we don't talk about heaven a lot because uh, I think many times we enjoy, we enjoy this so much that we forget how good it's going to be when we get there. And one of, the, one of the guys that was writing somewhat critical in the, in the book I was reading, somewhat critical about heaven, he said, man, what I want to do, fly around the clouds all the time with a harp. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, he's got a very bad conception or idea <laughs> about heaven. And I'm guessing if that's what you're thinking about heaven, uh, you may not have to worry about that. <laughs> I mean, if that's, that's your idea about heaven, it's not very scriptural. And so uh, you probably need to get something else figured out before that. But the idea is, imagine just for a moment what heaven's going to be like. She, she, she doesn't understand all of her prospects right now. She has no idea where this is going to play out as far as the lineage of Christ. And how, how this book and this segment of her life is going to be viewed for thousands of years after the fact. Because what God is doing in your life is never about you. See, God's a big picture God. So when he sees something and he sees you in your life, regardless of whether it's in Sherwood or Newburgh or Tualatin or Tiger or New York City or Mozambique, God is looking at the whole thing and he's fitly framing it together. And so a lot of it doesn't make sense. And when she lost, when Ruth lost her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and her husband, she had no idea that it was going to lead to great prospects in the future. Whatever God is doing in your life, understand this. Don't forget that wonderful, wonderful connection. Three, thi- three things real quickly, and these aren't in here because I just, I just jotted them down in the notes this afternoon. Always remember that God is always preparing for you. Always. Um, three things. He prepared your environment. He, God created the heavens and the earth. He prepared your escape because you and I have no hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he prepared your eternity. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming back, and I'm paraphrasing here. And don't ever forget the prospects of your future. So we see a wonderful connection to her past, to her present, and to her prospects because God is always working on behalf of his people. And then finally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up here. We see a worshiped companion. So the Bible reads, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception. She bare a son, and the woman said unto and the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. First thing that we notice, a worshipped companion is this right here. God is a restorer. That's what you see this wonderfully threaded throughout the book of Ruth. And that means it doesn't matter what has happened in your life. God can fix it. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want, live as you please, and God's going to make it all turn out for good. Now, God can make good out of bad, but it's not God's end that bad happened. God doesn't say, well, I, I want this to be a mess, and then I'm going to work it out. That's not, that's not how this operates. And so if you ever make that, that mistake, um, get your thinking uh, straight again. Because a worship companion, we understand him as he's a restorer. He fixes things, and that's what God does. And by the way, he's for restoration. He came to restore. Uh, you see what happened with the fall of man is this great gulf existed between God and man. And God said, I don't like that. I've got a plan, and that was redemption's plan. He gave his son to bring us back together. And in every relationship, in every situation in life, between you and God first, and then every relation, humanly speaking, God says, I want to fix it. I want to fix it. Usually when relationships are not restored, it's because one of us has become too hard, sometimes both of us. And so restoration isn't possible. But there is no sin that can separate you so far from God that you cannot be restored. God is not willing that any should perish. That any is a pretty big word. It means there never has been one that's drawn a breath. I don't care who it was. Adolf Hitler. Attila the Hun. We, we think about some of the most despair. You know, still, I'm reading a book this week, and, and still, it, I know we don't have any kids in here, so I'll say any children in here. It's unfathomable to me. And I was reading about particularly the concentration camp at Auschwitz and Treblinka. It's unfathomable to me how those German soldiers could even partook of that when they were bringing in 5,000 people a day and, and executing them just because they were Jews, then hauling them out. I, I, th to me, that is, th I, I read that every time I read it, and I've read a lot of books on World War II. But it, to me, it's, and I've been to two concentration camps over in Europe. To me, it's staggering that that could ever happen. By the way, don't ever think it could never happen again. Because that wasn't the first time in history, and it probably won't be the last. Always remember that. You know, man is depraved. Don't ever forget that. We, we are depraved. But, but you take a character like Adolf Hitler, who, who preached that teaching so 
with such fervor that the people bought it. It's unbelievable. They were blaming the Jews for everything. And people bought into that. And, and over a period of a decade or more, they wiped out six million. It's, a, it's a unbelievable. But I will say this. God did not want Adolf Hitler to go to hell. Now, we might say, looking at it from human records, say, well, he deserved it. Yep, so did I. How many of you saw that, uh, that story of the, uh, uh, the police officer in Texas who killed the neighbor? And how many of you saw that? The brother. Oh, my soul. If you haven't seen that, you've got to watch that. Um, and pray for that judge. She's getting all kinds of heat for what she did. When she came up, that was on the second part of the video. When she came off the bench, hugged the woman who was condemned and handed her a Bible. Uh, and yeah, just just crazy. But you know what that is? That's a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of grace. And when that man said, I don't want you to go to prison. Best thing you could ever do, and I'm paraphrasing here. Best thing you could ever do is give your heart to Jesus. And when he said that, and I mean, there are people that are slamming him for it. Uh, you, know, I, you know, because, you know, he, sh- he should have never said that and all of those kinds of things. And, and I don't know that I would have. But boy, did he demonstrate what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. And so one thing you have to understand is that God is a restorer. I'm going to hustle through these because we're out of time. And he is a nourisher, a nourisher. That means God always gives you what you need. You know, it may not always be what you like. A lot of times we we had to eat stuff we didn't care for. You know, a lot of times. And there's an expression sometimes we use, sometimes you just got to eat it. And that's sometimes what happens in life. And God brings things into your life. And you think, well, that's not what I wanted. No, but it's what you needed. And that's what a nourisher is. And then finally, the last thing, a worship companion, a restorer, a nourisher, a partner. And that is this. Whatever you will face, you know, I use Dave. Sorry, it's his leg. I don't know. It's a bad leg. It's a bum knee. Sorry. Here you go. I'll use Dave as an example. Dave's going into surgery tomorrow. He's been thinking about this for months. We've been praying for him for a very long time. And, and we'll have a chance to be down there before he goes through all of that. And, and as he goes through it, his rehab. But more than that, when Dave trusted Christ as his Savior, he got a partner. And one of the best things that comes out of the story in Ruth's life is there was a worship companion who would be a restorer, a nourisher, and a partner for everything in life. When you feel abandoned and forsaken by man, remember the story of Ruth. A restorer, a nourisher, and a partner. When you think uh, you're all alone, you're not. You're not. I was writing a letter to my girls this week, and I, uh, I try to, I write them every month, and I try to give them a lesson. And I tell them, this is for when I'm not around. And so I've been writing them for well over a year now, every month. And they all get the same letter, so it's not, but I, but I put a lesson in there and a $5 bill because I'm such a big spender. <laughs> but, but the lesson that I gave them this week or this month was in their letter, and don't tell them because they haven't got the letter. I just mailed them today. But was the fact that sometimes in life you you will go, everybody goes through a period in their life where they feel abandoned. 
I don't care who you are. I don't, I don't care how good a Christian you are. Every single child of God goes through a time when they don't even think they can get to God. I don't want to pray because I'm not even sure he's listening anymore. Everybody. You look at the greatest characters in the Bible. John the Baptist is in prison. Is he who should come or do we look for somebody else? Paul, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I never got a yes. Joseph's in prison and he's wondering what in the world is happening for this 20 years. Job, Job, in spite of the fact that he came out, when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. During those seven days when his buddies sat there silent, he had to wonder, what is he doing? In fact, he said it, it, it was a bad day when they announced my birth, and I'm paraphrasing. You say, what, I, what are you saying? Because everybody goes through those times where you think, if I could just see him, if I could just feel him, if I could just touch him. You say, how do you know that? Because even the Son of God on the cross said, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, if his own son faced that when he took upon the sin of the world, know this, when you go through it and you think nobody's around, and why do I bother? Because your worship companion promised to be your partner for life. You may not always see him, but he's always there. Uh, I got to tell you one more story. Sorry. Uh, a young man told a story about how his, his dad, and I don't know how factual it is, brought him into adulthood. And he took him into the woods, and he told him, he said, I'm going to blindfold you and leave you here on this stump. He said, and you'll be here through the entire night. He said, I'll come back and get you in the morning. So he blindfolded him, left him there on the stump in the middle of the woods. And he said that entire night, he said he shivered and he could hear the, the wolves howling. And he heard strange noises and he could feel the chill of the air. And he said, uh, even though he could see nothing, he recognized that daylight was approaching. And he said daylight came and he said he finally took off the blindfold. And his father was sitting on the stump next to him. He said, but that night he never knew that. He wondered, am I going to make it through the night? What he didn't realize is that his father never left him. And what you and I have to realize is your father, he's never left you. Lord, thank you for the time you've given us. Help us, Lord, we pray. Bless each and every one that's here. We ask for your help and favor. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. If you have an opportunity to help reset the auditorium, that'd be great. Please remember to pray for all of these uh, that we've asked for. And uh, Lord bless you. We'll see you on Sunday.